Until this season, a no-hitter was one of the rarest events in baseball. I've been watching Major League Baseball games since 1948 and have never seen a pitcher throw a no-hit game. In the entire history of Mammoth Forts Field, where my Pittsburgh Pirates played baseball from 1909 to 1970, no Pirate or opposing pitcher ever tossed a no-hitter. In 1971, the first year the Pirates played at Three River Stadium, visiting Cardinal Bob Gibson pitched a no-hitter against my hometown team. He starts to wind up. Here's the pitch, and it's a strike called! A no-hitter for Gibson! Simmons roars to the mound! Embraces Gibson, who's a go-fire teammate, as the Cardinals win the game 11 to nothing. 25-player pound Bob Gibson for a tremendous effort here tonight. In 2021, with batters ignoring extreme shifts, swinging for the fences and striking out at a record pace, the no-hitter has become a bit more commonplace. When Arizona Diamondbacks rookie Tyler Gilbert pitched a no-hitter a few weeks ago, it was a Major League Baseball record-tying eighth on the season. Gilbert also became the first pitcher since 1953 to throw a no-hitter in his first big league start. They got him in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Just his fourth ever appearance in the major leagues, his first start, and he just threw a no-hitter. The last pitcher to throw a no-hitter in his first start in the majors, and the only pitcher to do so in the 20th century, wore a St. Louis uniform, but he wasn't a Cardinal. There were a number of Cardinals, including Hall of Famers Jesse Haynes and Bob Gibson, as well as Dizzy Dean's brother Daffy, who pitched no-hitters, and Bob Forsch did it twice but the only Major League Baseball pitcher who threw a no-hitter in his first start before Tyler Gilbert was a member of the St. Louis Browns. In 1953, Browns owner Bill Veck, desperate for pitching help, even though he was struggling financially, purchased Bobo Holloman from the minor league Syracuse club for $10,000 and another $25,000 if he was still with the Browns by the June 15 cutoff date. Holloman was quite a character who, according to the flamboyant Vec, could out-talk me, out-pester, and out-con me. Unfortunately, he could not out-pitch me. In his few relief appearances, Holloman was hit hard, but with the cutout date a month away, he told Vec and manager Marty Marion that he wasn't a relief pitcher and deserved a chance to start a game. Fully determined to cut Holloman by June 15th and save $25,000, which he intended to use to buy Ernie Banks from the Negro League Kansas City Monarchs, Vex saw no harm in giving Holloman a start as a farewell present. On May 6, 1953, Bobo Holloman took the mound against the Philadelphia Athletics and pitched one of the most improbable games in baseball history. According to Vec, everything Holloman threw was hammered by batters, but line drives were hit right at Brown's fielders, a home run curved foul at the last second, and even a bunt just rolled foul on its last spin. Every time Holloman seemed to tire on a hot and humid St. Louis night, a shower swept across the field and delayed the game long enough for Holloman to catch his breath. In the top of the ninth, with the Browns leading 6-0, an exhausted Holloman, who had driven in three of the runs with two singles, walked the first two batters, and after a double play, issued another walk. Ace slugger Eddie Robinson lifted a deep fly ball to right field, but it died in the humid night air and was caught to end the game. Bobo Holloman, in Vex words, had pitched the quaintest no-hitter 
in the history of the game. Big Bobo Holloman was one with the Immortals. Feck's problem, however, was that he couldn't cut a pitcher who had just become one of the Immortals. Cash strapped Veck, who, when Cleveland Indians president, had integrated the American League by signing Larry Doby just months after Jackie Robinson played his first game with the Dodgers, needed Holloman's $25,000 bonus money to sign Ernie Banks and keep the struggling Browns in St. Louis. But he kept Holloman, lost the chance to sign Banks, and eventually was forced to sell the Browns. The Browns had effectively been erased from the game of baseball. The Browns may have left St. Louis, but St. Louis never really left the Browns. It's interesting to look at the Browns' story and to look at Cardinal Nation today. If I were looking at it from today, I'm like, oh, people just look on the Browns and they're, you know, like they're a blip in the, in the history of the city and, and people make fun of them. But, you know, I also think they were kind of like the, the lovable losers in a way. By the opening of the 1954 season, the Browns had become the Baltimore Orioles. Ernie Banks had become the first African-American to play in a Chicago Cubs uniform. And thanks in part to Bobo Holloman, Bill Veck was out of baseball until he became part of the ownership of the White Sox in 1959. As for the immortal Big Bobo, by the end of the 1953 season, he was back in the minor leagues and never pitched in the major leagues again. This is Pete Peterson for Reading Baseball.